Yes, well, I, it, Mel gave me a job and I'm gonna do it. Gosh darn it. Welcome to Brave Space Live, a show about anti-oppression and communal healing. Each week we pick a hard-hitting topic and dive right into the awkwardness. And as you can see, we always start with awkwardness. I'm Tyshell. I'm a trained social clinical social worker, educator, and diversity inclusion practitioner. And this is, no, I did it wrong. This is my co-host, Mel. And there's some people down the bottom. And we'll see them in a second. Go ahead, Mel. Hello, I'm Mel. And I'm an author, an activist, and a social ethicist. And I'm realizing now that I was supposed to wait to bring Darling and Benjamin on so we could have like a a, a very dramatic entry with like a drum roll. And these are the most amazing people you're going to bring me. And I brought everybody on too early. So anyway, this is Darling and Benjamin, everybody. They are our producers. Yay. Somehow, and I'll say, somehow we're lucky enough to have four producers that we're not even at this point paying. Hopefully, we're not saying we won't because we don't turn down anything but our collars with a sponsor, the right sponsor. But we have four <laughs> producers, and these are our two newest producers who are on the show with us. So um, we're going to hear from them, talk with them about themselves. Today's episode is decentering decentering heteronormativity, and we'll talk about all of that. But And Mel, did you want to say something before I start to try to introduce them? No, please go for it. All right, so I will um, do a many, very many introduction, but I really want to hear from them and let them introduce themselves. So Benjamin is one of our producers. He works in client relations. <laughs> Doesn't that sound fancy? He's client it relations. It does sound really fancy. It sounds very nice. Very and Darling, who works all things social media. And one of the things that we have, we did this season with our producers is let them pick topics. So you've already met Ben. But behind the scenes, if you've seen anything on social media, it came from Darling. So love to hear from you all. How about Ben, you start, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. He's sure. Benjamin. You're, you're oh, Benjamin. Benjamin. I keep doing that. I keep doing that okay. because my husband's name is Ben and this is right. Benjamin. And that's how I keep them straight in my head. But when I'm talking, I'm like, Ben, Benjamin. <laughs> that's Benjamin. Quite all right. Hi, everyone. So my name is Benjamin. As I said, I'm one of the one of the two newest producers here. I like to think how to describe myself, a perpetual East Coaster that seems to always go between very specific cities. I feel like my I'm very much a tale of two states, which is Rhode Island and New York. And I say those two and not my home state of Massachusetts, because even though, yes, I did, was born and raised there, and that's probably the state I live the longest in, jobs kept bringing me in between Rhode Island and New York, but here in New York in the city where I hope to stay for as long as I can. Um, and I figure with the, with the show title and how that pertains to me. So I am gay with very much a capital G. That's how I like to describe myself. And what does, what does that mean? Capital G gay. I love I, it. But I don't know. It? Cause I don't know if you're starting the sentence in the A and the Y or lowercase, or I don't know, okay. some type of declarative statement. I don't know. 
but I say I say that because is it, is it very it's... much like I'm here, I'm queer, like that? Yeah, kind I could put like, it that way. Yeah, okay, 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 get used to it. it. Um, I say too because I think yes, stereotypes are bad. I fit a lot of stereotypes. Um, so like, sure, if you were to assume nine times out of ten, you'd probably be right. But also as someone who maybe only now in the last couple of years feels like they have finally found a space for themselves in the gay community and in the wider queer community. I majority of my life haven't really felt that way because of, at least for me, I've always had, I think my feet in different camps that would seem polar opposite, like being involved still in certain spiritual and religious communities that can be like diametrically opposed <laughs> to, to, to the queer community among other things as well. But um, so it was never certain where I would fit in. And I can say now at 33, I'm captain of my volleyball team in the gay league that I do, which is, I think the oldest, I think it's the oldest gay sports league in the, in the city. Um, so I went from captain, captain of the volleyball team. Yeah. So fancy. And we won Sparsity. our first match to boot as the season started. So we won. So we're Ooh. on a, and a good start. So it's a little, little of me and little, little pockets of my very interesting journey. Awesome. Darling, how about you? Tell us yourself. Okay. Um, yes, my name is Darling. That's my real name. <laughs> you do have, you do have to tell people that because I've known Darling for quite a number of years and did not think that was her real name. <laughs> so yes yes that is my real name um actually i can tell the sort of the story behind that because everybody has like their own spin on it everyone thinks it's like oh like you know they must have looked at you your parents must have looked at you and said oh you're so darling but no no not exactly um so my mother's side of the family is from south carolina and there is a city called darlington um and i have a, a triple great grandfather who was like named darlington and my mom thought that was you know, a good idea or just, you know, cute. And she just took the T.O.N. off and thought that that would be a good, you know, interesting thing about me. So it's that stuff. Cool. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, that's a great, like, heritage yeah. story. I love yeah. that. It's very cute. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, thank you. Um, I was also born in Alaska. Um, I'm an army brat, so. Yeah. <laughs> I have to the same. Like, what? We at the same time. Okay. Sorry, sorry to the audience. Sorry to that man because Wait, sorry, we're going to be looking and talking to each other. I'm going to we're going to have to mute ourselves when we're not talking because like Darling's supposed to be telling her story and I'm sitting here like learning things about her. I've known her for like 10 years and I did not know that. Oh, it's been that long. Uh, yeah, it's it's 2022, almost 2023. Yeah, it was about 2013, wow. I think, when I met you for yeah, the first oh, time. But wow. anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I keep interrupting because my eyes are getting wide. Like, <laughs> sorry, oh, Mel. Gosh. Mel's gonna be like, Tesha, this is not good for the podcast. No, sorry. Oh, go ahead, hey, we're here to have a nice oh, time. It's fine. Right. Okay. Um. What? Else? Oh, so my connection to uh, like you know, uh, combating uh, heteronormativity is that I um, identify as demi demisexual, and uh, um, it's one of the the new. I don't want to say it's new because people we've been here forever, but you know, uh, but one of the it's one of the the newer um, talked about sections of uh, sexuality, and it's that just means that you know, I have to have like a deep connection with someone before I can become like involved sexually or or otherwise. Um, AKA, if I don't like you. I'm not gonna make it happen. 
So can I tell can I tell a short story about darling that just popped up into my head? So one of the things that she had said when we first started talking about this topic, it was like, yeah, she's like, we we always talk about the dating pool, and thanks to our other producer Joe, who says that there's pee in the dating pool, or one of them between her and and darling, she had said, yeah, there's not really a category for folks like me in the gray sexual, asexual, demi um, category on on dating profiles, because you're gonna be like, oh my God, I'd love to go on a first date with you. And if this works out, we could have sex in four years. And I was like, <laughs> which is, so she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally interested in you. Four years from now, let's go on a date. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? So that was, a, a, it, it led me to doing some research and thinking because these are, you know, when you have privileges, you're not thinking about the other. That's literally what privileges yeah. I have these things that I'm not thinking about others. So on that note, I think it would be great mm-hmm. for us to talk about the spectrum of gender and um, noting that today we'll be talking more about romanticism and not necessarily gender when it as it comes to trans identity and things like that. And if you want to learn more or hear more from us, I think it was, Mel, you said it was episode 17? 17 with Reverend Dr. Monica who is our new favorite person. That was a phenomenal episode. Yeah, Yeah, so we talked a lot about trans issues in that episode. Exactly, and I will say, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go do so because Dr. Monica, like Mel said, is amazing. I literally, on my computer, have a post-it from her when she talked about, she said this quote about hope, and she said, hope is in doing the work, and it it just resonated because I do this work of IND in my everyday, and sometimes it is like fruitless out there in these streets. It is terrible. It is nothing but awful. And then, like, where do we garner hope from? And she talked about how hope is in doing the work. So if you haven't listened to that episode, she was phenomenal. She's an author. Please go listen to it. Um, but today we'll be talking because we are all and and we're very serious on this. We're not very serious. We're goofy, but we're very serious on this podcast podcast about talking about our own lived experiences and it would we wouldn't do it any um justice to sit here and be four cisgendered um people having a conversation without trans folks in the room so we wanted to at least bring that in as we have this conversation but talking about um sexuality spectrum and I know we're going to do a little bit of that yes so um before we get into what header what decentering heteronormativity means that's a mouthful isn't it um we want to first talk for a bit about the difference between gender and sexuality there's a lot of confusion about this particular topic and thankfully our um, alphabet mafia friends on the internet which is what we lovingly call the lgbtqia community which i also identify as as well i should say i I came out of several years ago as bisexual. So we have kind of a cool spectrum going on here. The alphabet mafia represent. Um, so we have some great uh, graphics available on the web for this type of thing to explain the difference. So I'm going to show you the, um, the flying gender unicorn graphic. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can Google the flying gender unicorn. So it talks about uh, the difference between someone's gender identity, how how they identify in their own brain, mental and emotional space might be very different from how they identify to the outside world, which is your gender expression. So your gender identity inside, your gender expression outside and how people perceive you. And that also can differ from the gender you are assigned at birth. 
uh, and your biological chromosomal sex, your hormone levels, the genitals you may have uh, been born with, <clears throat> all of that can be disparate. You might experience being non-binary, transgender, woman, man, boy, girl, masculine, feminine. Uh, there are many, many different formations of human gender identity, human gender expression. We are not a binary. Anyone who tells you that is, is wrong. Um, and even if you just take the population of intersex people alone, people intersex who are born with mm -hmm. um, gender identity, not, excuse me, not gender identity, gender expression or um, gender assignment identity, outside assignment. of Outside, of, Outside the of XX or XY or chromosomal and yep. what that looks like for all the folks who live in between. And and yep. that I'll say thing like um, we used to have this terminology and, and forgive me for for anyone this is offensive to. But we used they used to use terminology like um, hermaphrodite, hermaphrodite or hermaphrodism. But we don't we say that anymore. That we don't. It's, a, it's an archaic term because that actually only talked about one or certain groups. But there are. 42 chromosomes and there's hundreds of thousands of millions of ways they can be made up to show what we look like on the inside and or outside, right? So when we're talking, and this is why we wanted to show this version of this graphic, because there was a gingerbread person, which still took a male form, which we, which we talk about, but it also was not in full. So if you can go back to the other one and we will post this, well, darling, we'll post this on our social media so you can see what we're talking about. But there's a varying degree or not degree, but the, there's a lot of variance in what genitalia looks like um, for folks who live at, who are intersex. There's a varying degree of hormone level and that's in what we even would call the binary, right? Hormone levels change over time and they do different things to our bodies. There's there's folks who live with PCOS. There's folks who, um, as you as a woman, as a cisgendered woman, your hormone levels change throughout your life. And especially as you get older, all of these different things. And then chromosomes look many different ways there. You know, a lot of people, one of the ones that people know about is Klinefelter syndrome, where there's um two X's and a Y, but there's so many variations and that's just biology. So when people say it's not biological, like it both is and isn't, right? There's so many yeah. variations. And we'll be talking a little bit more about sexual attractions specifically. So yeah, so that's the, so, so sorry. That's the gender side. I'm so sorry, Taishal, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's the gender mm -hmm. side so of things. So just to know, we're already not working with a binary. Human sexuality right. is not a binary. Sexuality in nature is not a binary. Well, we have like 1500 species that have like been observed in nature to, you know, do some, have some sort of homosexual practices or activity uh, observed by scientists. Um, so we, we're not, we're not a simple, this stuff is not simple and it can't be distilled uh, down. So it, in, in, in any given moment, you know, intersex people are about 0.2% of the population and gain gay and queer people, trans people probably make up between five to 10% of the population. So chances are when you're walking around throughout your day, you're surrounded by a gay and queer and intersex people. And, and you might not see it on the outside, but these are your neighbors. These are your family members. These are your community members. And, and so these issues might not necessarily pertain to you directly, but they definitely impact people around you, especially because we live in a heteronormative world where 
people do feel like they have to stuff themselves inside these little boxes that we call gender and sexuality and don't feel comfortable being who they are in the public because they're, they're, they, they fear shame or ridicule or in sometimes even physical danger. So I'm going to shift that too, though, Mel, because yeah. I don't know that we live in a heteronormative world. I think our societies and dom are dominated by heteronormative ideals because there mm. are societies of people in both lots of, uh, I'm thinking um, in Thailand and in, in native cultures that are, that don't have this binary, they, yeah. their societal makeup doesn't, don't have this binary that, that is expressed upon many people. So I'm not, not just not saying that what you're saying is wrong, because I think that's the lens that most of us think through, right? Like yes. we think through even this American lens, even when we're looking at other countries, when we think about supremacy and the white gaze and all of those things that we'll talk a lot about all of those things as we go on today, but you know, we know that this is expansive, right? I'm so glad you said that. And you're right. I was saying the world, but I mean my very specific American culture that I live in. You're absolutely right. So even I was being normative, right? I was saying that like my normal, what I what I perceive as normal applies to everybody or should apply to everybody. So before we get too far into the gender, the sexuality and attraction part, let's dive into Ben's story. Ben, would you mind sharing with us your story? Um, however much you feel comfortable. I'm so sorry that noise is my dog growling at me. To whatever degree you feel comfortable sharing your experience with coming out and what that's been like for you. Hmm. Well, I'm actually kind of glad you asked that question because then I will say I will push back on the phrase coming out. And I say that because, well, for a lot of few reasons. I know that that's the term like for, for coming out, this idea of, of stepping up, stepping out or the process of disclosing. For most people, sexual orientation, but could also be gender expression or even gender identity to friends and family. And I knew that's what it was called. And that is like something I went through in my mid twenties, which I would say actually makes me more of a late bloomer in the, in the gay world in terms of like hallmarks or stages, even in terms of like sexual development and sexual experiences. So, you know, tell people, you know, had the classic, I think what I love when I told my brother, he cried. Not that he was upset. He was so happy, but I didn't cry. When I told my mom, I cried. To my dad, neither of us cried. And we went to go see a movie. Um, so I have like gone through the process. But coming out just never those that type of I guess verbiage, I guess, wasn't it like the feeling or the action that I felt it for me. And I just never knew what else he would call it. And uh I will say that the, the disco song and coming out is wonderful. And that also is a, a total gay anthem. Um, so I love the confidence of that, which I think is what has been coming out. But looking at the phrase more, it can be claimed to be very rooted in the, like in the, in the civil rights movement, particularly in the push for, for gay rights. So this um, very like attached with Stonewall rebellion, like coming out, we're marching on like this real strong physical action, but it wasn't until, and I, say this because I referenced it. This article came out over 10 years ago by this writer named uh, Darnell Moore. He uh, was born in Camden, New Jersey. He lives in LA now. 
It's a black gay man, and he wrote this two-part article, and you can still find it on um, thefeministheadwire.com, uh, shameless plug. And he talks about the deck of switching the dichotomy from saying coming out to inviting in. And he even works on um, writings by another scholar whose name, I, I apologize if I pronounce the first name wrong, but um, Sekne Hamoud Beckett, who's from Australia. And they're also of Lebanese descent and Muslim ancestry. And they have some writings about what they term coming in. And through the paper, Delmore thought inviting in is a perhaps a better, or not, not better, that's my projection, a different way of explaining this experience because maybe for some people, they interviewed someone, I thought this was beautiful. The closet, this idea of coming out of the closet, being in the closet, the closet is this very negative, bad place and coming out, you were supposed to like step out and like, just leave the closet behind. But someone was saying in an interview, the closet for me is in a bad place, but it's the place where I hide my treasures. It's like the closet is like a place where I, I safe keep things, which I thought was so beautiful. And that res that resonated with me because for a long time, I, I keep it now in a like open shelving because of space in New York City apartment. But for a while, I, I have this like a special box with um, cards and maybe like obituary notices and just like those little mementos in a box that I, but I always hid it in my closet. Like it was a very sealed off, I would say sacred space that was for me and my eyes only. And it wasn't because it was something with shame, but just one something that was precious to me. And if I want to share it with you, I will, you know, share that with you. And so I guess that same thinking goes with disclosing sexuality um, or sexual orientation. I think in general, it's a bit more empowering and makes it less of the responsibility of the queer person or trans person. Uh, then it is more of the person who's telling, recognizing like this relationship or this person is so important. And because I value it so much, I want to share in the full openness of who I am with, with you. And that, and that is what I found that experience to be for me. That's wonderful. And I hadn't, I have never really thought critically about the closet and what that's meant for that it should be normal for people, for gay people to hide in shame until they have the courage to mm -hmm. burst themselves out and liberate themselves instead of expecting society to adjust and welcome. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you said that, as you were saying that too, ben, Benjamin, one of the things I was thinking about was this, not as a, in, in a different way than you described it, Mel, not as this like um, shameful place, but as a protective place as mm, well, right? closet, yes. because a lot of people go into a closet in general as a young child it's like a, i'm thinking this is bear with me because this is like my the psych part of tyshell coming out the clinical therapist part in that um winnicott talks about does child therapy and he talks about a holding environment and this these protective environments that you can create often like when you think of, as a kid like a fort under a table where it's you're surrounded and you feel safe to be yourself. And that's how I've always thought about a closet versus like a shameful place. But it is, it, I would say our society, um, especially American society does look at it as, I think as a little bit of both, but more so on the shameful thing because you think about skeletons in your closet, right? And it's funny, cause I always tell people like, when I die, there are no skeletons in my, like I can't keep a secret, I can't. So if you tell me, if, if any of you wanna tell me a secret, just tell me it's a secret before you tell it to me, because otherwise I'm going to talk to some, I was one of those kids who never kept 
a diary because I'm a middle child and I have an older sister, young, younger sister. I'm going to talk to them about everything. But when I think about a closet, I think about keeping your, as you talked about, Ben, your treasure and your safe place for self. But I do love the term inviting in because mm-hmm. not everything belongs to and with everybody. And as you get older, you know, in this phase of like post 30, you're trying to like think about making friends and how much harder it is to make friends as an adult because as a child it was like I'm going to share my candy with that person now we're best friends and now you're like ooh who did you vote for where were you at on January 6th and all of these kinds of things where you're more selective about the group and then you're selective about even even with your groups of friends what you share with what group and I yes that's and I I love that you brought that up because that part I find is particularly so true like even in my trusted friend groups if if there's and trust me, I know you You are one of those people I can share. I could share whatever I talk about. It'll be fine. There is a subset, like a small group of friends where, you know, maybe I meet someone for a date or something or just have, you know, a fling or a hookup over the weekend. There's only, there's within the friend group, there's a small group of friends who I know I can share the story with and not get judgment on that. Because even the ones who are okay with this, they wouldn't want to, if not hear the story which granted it it becomes it becomes a part of lifestyle yeah and i think morality i think they could be and i think they could still be judgy so like i won't they don't have to know that part but these people i know see but the difference is ben i'm just gonna tell you i'm gonna judge you to your face right that's (laughs) that is true that's true i'm gonna be like you are this and then but we'll laugh about it because Mm -hmm. in that it's it's a understanding of every individual safety love romanticism fun Mm -hmm. and this whole full expansive part of life and not demonizing for any part of that which yeah and then no melody oh i was gonna ask you a question so if you want to finish that thought feel free yeah briefly and i would say even the people like the friends who i do share with i find they talk about decentering heteronormativity I find it's because they are just either super open-minded or perhaps they don't have like a heteronormative relationship. So therefore they can be understanding of. It's a more around, expensive like, ideal. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's just something that popped in my head. So I have one question for you, Benjamin, and I'll ask darling the same question a little bit later. Uh, Benjamin, how do you experience, this is a really broad question. So feel free to answer however you like, how do you experience gender and sexuality in the world? How do you experience that? You don't obviously don't go into gory detail, please. But oh my gosh, like, in general, like, do you? Yeah, what's what's your experience of that in the world? How does that show up for you? That is such an interesting question. I feel well, probably because the easiest thing I can think of, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's really interesting to see how it shows up with participating in this volleyball league if i <laughs> to be honest because i've never just for probably no one's surprise was not athletic growing up if anything um i like to joke and say that the only the any type of sport that i was mildly good at in middle school or high school was and this this is totally stupid to say but i would call them like country club sports like Badminton, tennis, volleyball. Although you could say volleyball is really for the You're people so the beach and other things. But trust me, I, would just... I was like, I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I know exactly what Ben's going to say because I've known him for a while. And when he talked about being like the stereotypical capital mm-hmm. G, I was just thinking like, 
you know, I, my, and this is why we joke and talk because mm -hmm. stereotypes are fine when they represent a person and not a broad brush of everybody. But exactly. Ben is, if you are, if you don't know Ben, I'm going to share this about him without his permission <laughs> here right now. He's I a golden you. girl. Okay. He oh, is yes. quintessentially, uh, every, like at least he's like 25% of each person on that show. So if you like imagine him, that's exactly like you can walk into a place and go, oh yeah, okay, that's Ben, right? Like 25% uh, Dorothy and 25% Blanche and 25% Rose and 25% Sophia, I would call Ben. And we used to, when, when I used cool. to live in New York City with Ben, we used to call him like Gert. We would give him all old lady names, Gertrude. Mm -hmm. Gertrude was a popular he one. Had chip in his pocket, y'all. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And you know things like you know I love playing canasta, so I can get it with all the the Jewish grandmothers. Um, and then I love to go bowling. So it's yeah, it's <laughs> oh, that's a good point. But I guess so. Then moving through, you know, very much you know your artsy fartsy theater, all that stuff, music. And still not so much doing theater, but taking dance classes and all that stuff. Started doing volleyball because of other gay friends of mine who did it. And I watched them. They played great. But even experiencing that, it's, 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 like, the, it's like the inverse of what I experienced in gym class. Because I feel like how sexuality occurred. We get to even say gym class. Like just when puberty happened and seeing, at least in presentation and physicality, what other boys look like particularly I remember I had a classmate who knows when they started working out I just remember like middle school locker room were changing in between class and he was just ripped it's like we're in seventh grade and like you have a six-pack like what I think I was more so just amazed just out of curiosity like how can the human body do this so young but I digress seeing that I think put an impression because I saw what maybe the plants of what the ideal looks like and realizing that that was so not me. And this is still an issue I think most gay men experience due to like the adult film and the pornography industry and like what's considered the <clears throat> ideal male form, which changes depending on your, like who you're attracted to, but that could again be like a whole list of episodes. So seeing with the, being on the volleyball team now and being involved and this team where I have to say, I love my team. This is like a great season and everyone else is wonderful. Seeing how we, I can play more into my sexuality or be, and even be playful with my sexuality in space. And that's like, that's the norm and not the, like the difference. Like, I think we can be playing and maybe someone gets a great pass. Someone scores a point and we're, we're really good about cheering people on. But it's so funny when people are cheering and I'm, you know, I'm watching sports and I hear people cheering and it's not just clapping, but it's like, ooh, it's like, you know, yes, work. And people are, you know, finger snapping. And I, and I have said, if this was what gym class was for me growing up, how different I think things would have been. Um, and, and, and experiencing that now, it's like, oh my God, this is so, <laughs> this is so great. And even just in like the, the clothes we wear, like, you know, maybe I can wear, you know, a pair of short shorts one day and we can be fun and silly with that, but that's fine. It doesn't get the, doesn't get, you know, the wrong types of stares or that feeling of, oh, if I walk someone who sees me wearing this, are they going to like, you know, come after me and offer, you know, a good reason. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think 
doing volleyball has really not like he it in some ways it's healed old traumas because not that I, I do think there were some memories of gym class and my own struggles with that that when I first started playing volleyball was really coming back at me especially when you're doing warm-ups and they're making us do drills and so you really do think they're doing class but um it's definitely helped me I think get over and just kind of flip those bad experiences into look at look at this look at this now in your 30s it's great thank you so much that was a great I was not expecting the answer that's like kind of <laughs> encapsulates so many different issues in one story thank you thank you Darling, can I ask you the same question? How do you experience gender and sexuality in the world? Hmm, that is a really good question. Um, well, so when you ask that, I immediately think about like, like just how, like how much like I understand, like I have like leaned a hundred percent into into uh, being a woman, like you know, the in the most femme you know way possible. I love it all, but like I, I do, I can like trace like over my over my lifetime like how like I struggled with that. I think like um, um, I ha always I really hate if someone could like figure me out before I said. So there was like a huge chunk of my um life where it was like, oh, well, pink is out and <clears throat> only blue, and like blue is still my favorite color to this day. Um, like Caribbean water blue is thirsty. <laughs> Um, but like, you know, and now that I'm older, it's just like, oh, well, like that was insane. Like you can't control what other people are thinking of you. Like, you know, just do what is, you know, is right for you. Um, but I also have to think about like, um, like how I like maybe put that on other people, like, you know, cause like other, you know, other people, um, are struggling with that. You know, if you have dysphoria, like I, I, I've had, uh, friends, you know, who have transitioned like after. I met them and like you know they um this particular uh friend like didn't want you uh used to uh identify as a woman and then um trans uh decided to uh, hurt their pronouns are now they them and they don't wear makeup anymore and so like our relationship was like kind of like based in that and then we had to change it because like they you know that like kind of brought up negative feelings for them so um be being a woman and, and everything that th that means and like the juxtaposition of uh, of going up against men or like living in a world with men comes up a lot for me. Um, and then I, I heard once that like, um, we're all made up of like masculine and feminine energy anyway. Like you can't get away from that. It's just like we're not allowed to like experience that because like only one is supposed to be good. Like, you know, fem anything feminine is weak and terrible and like, you know, anything masculine, well, that, that's fine. It's great if women have those characteristics because you know we're supposed to have those and like men are not supposed to have anything feminine or soft and and all that so um so yeah like and I can see that playing out for me you know like when I when I have those tendencies but like it's like well yeah like this is normal like you, <laughs> you're not supposed to be 100% anything all the time you know there's like fluidity and and so much of of everything that we experience that we've been told is a binary for so long so it's been interesting to like step into that. You're on mute, Mel. <laughs> You're both raising such important points that the concepts of gender and sexuality that we've been taught, that we've been socialized from a young age, they're really arbitrary. Like the fact that girls have to wear pink and boys have to play sports. Like 
who decided that? Where did where does it come from? I mean, it's yeah. it's not it's not based in anything, but just these weird Shocker, is white supremacy, y'all. Like that's it's, just it's literally the answer to literally all things. Really? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, that, mm -hmm. it's capitalism, right? It's like selling mm -hmm. selling girls pink things and selling boys sports, and and the more that stuff is marketed to us and pounded into our brains, the more those categories are reified and mm -hmm. perpetuated and normalized which brings us back to this question of what is what is normativity what is heteronormativity and how the heck do we decenter it so i want to ask each of you to to chime in on that question tashelle you want to go first so one of the things that makes me think about is like the social my own socialization as a young girl right i have never so th sexuality, I think, has changed throughout my life. And um, I think more of my siblings are, are um, part of the LGBTQ alphabet mafia than not, right? Like my older sister is bi. Um, I have a younger brother who's gay, a younger sister who's gay, um, and a younger sister who I'm not sure what she's doing from day to day, like in general. Like it, that's, I mean, all parts of her life. I'm not just talking about her sexuality, right? Um, I was never... I did a lot of human sexuality learning in undergrad, but my mom told me recently um, that I had wrote a an essay in second or third grade about how gay people should be able to get married. Don't remember this essay, but I do, I, I have a plaque for a writing award and I was asking my mom what it was and she was telling me that. So Tashel, young Tashel has always been a vigilante for the project, <laughs> right? Like I, I, I'm, I'm not new to this, I'm true to this, but I was thinking about my own socialization and I was going to tell this convert. I was going to tell the story on our last episode about culture being a costume, but I thought it was kind of fitting here in that I remember one of my youngest Halloween costumes I remember was a bride. And it's such a weird thing. It was, it was also a dress that was made that I got made. I was a, a flower girl in one of my. <laughs> This is, this is so fitting for the last episode. We will oh, do a I'm celebration episode of season two. But um, my aunt has been married four times. And in her third wedding? I don't know. I, I can't even know. I don't even know which one it is. In one of her weddings, I was a flower girl. And there was this huge white dress that I had with gloves and a purse and the big ruffle socks to match. And I wore it for fourth grade graduation. I wore it for Halloween. My mom was like, you're going to wear this dress. But I was excited to wear it for those things. And I just remember this thought process and socialization of what it, what heteronormativity is and what all of these things mean is this, the socialization of young girls and the thought process of getting married. And I can always remember wanting to get married. And for at some points in my life that getting married meant being married to a man having children, right? And I'm still a part of that structure. I'm married to a man and we are hoping to have children. But along the way, all of these different thought processes go into that. What does marriage look like between um, two people who are not cisgender? What does marriage look like between um, more than two people? What does marriage look like without this white picket fence? So this, when I'm talking about like capitalism and white supremacy, it's that structure. It's not that you can't have those things. It's like what lives outside of that and how can other people be a part of it as well? So for me, it's this just socialization. I remember me and my sister, and this is also, this is also how 
white supremacy is a racism is a is another branch of that tree. Me and my sister used to put um, stockings on our head and pretend it was long hair or put a pillowcase on our head and, and with a headband and pretend we had long flowing hair because that's what princesses have. Right. And for whatever reason, I was Paula Abdul and I was going to marry Michael Jackson. Don't tell. It was the 80s. It was the it was actually it was the early nineties because I'm not that old and my birthday's coming up. But it was and my sister and we would we would exchange and my sister was Janet Jackson, but she couldn't marry her brother, so she was going to marry Bobby Brown. I would not want to marry Michael Jackson or Bobby Brown as I've gotten older and realized who they are. Also, still love Michael Jackson, but uh, and and uh, and and Bobby Brown and Paul Abdul and Janet Jackson. Like maybe I'd marry Jan of all those four people, I'd marry Janet Jackson. Like to be honest. Who wouldn't? Um, but I just remember always thinking, get married. You know, you put when you're a little girl, you well, not every little girl, but in my case, you put a pillow under your under your dress or whatever, you were pregnant. All of these things that I didn't like look for and have and do, and they just become a part of me. Like just being like like I if you ask my husband, and I like calling him my husband, but even in that thought process, like we we got a we got a ketubah because my husband is Jewish, and we made sure the language was equal and partnership and all of those. I didn't have my dad walk me down the aisle because I don't believe a man should be giving me away. Um, uh, what what it means to be equal parenting and equal um, care tasks in your home and all of those things have changed throughout my life. But what does this thought process render? And if yo, if you add one of the things I was gonna say is if you ask my husband, like I hate when people say the only way, the only person that can say queen to me is like a gay guy, right? Like call me queen, and it's and you, and you have to specify it's with a W because I hate the thought of monarchs and princesses and all. Like I, I don't want to tell my child, daughter, son, or intersex or whomever they are, whatever gender they um, are is that they're a princess and a prince and because that goes back to supremacy culture and monarchies but i hate that thought process like i hate and i'm sorry i'm saying it so strong but i really do not like this is personal you can do whatever you want but Tasha, i really don't like when people say we're trying to build an empire i'm like you are not strip all the kings and queens and the and the tiaras away from that royal family and like i just i hate it i'm like we're trying to build an m i hate that thought process in that conversation i don't even know what question you asked me mel and i'm going off on my tirade but this is where i'm at and i'll talk to this funny <laughs> um okay so the question was to decenter so what is normativity what is heteronormativity and how do we decenter it Okay. Um, All right. I'll go back a little bit and then I'll toss okay. it to uh, uh, <laughs> Darling. For me, heteronormativity is this this 2.5 white picket fence, man, wife. And also I think what goes under that then is religion, right? Um, is the man is the head of household and the, and the wife. And then after that, the kid, like, I, I, I just dislike all of that because I don't feel like I need to be led by some person because he has male genitalia or whatever the case may be is. So for me, decentering that, which is not always welcomed because I grew up in a black family and more American black families are akin to Christianity because of slavery, right? I'm not a Christian. I, although I do um, practice more of a monotheistic style, I'm a, I am a, I'm a, I would say I'm spiritual, not religious, right? Um, so I'm not a Christian. Um, I believe in more egalitarian, like, or 
I don't I don't think relationships can stay 50-50, right? In everything. Like there are some things that my husband is really great at, and there are some things that I'm I'm better at, right? And they're and they go both, they they oscillate. We oscillate in our relationship of what that looks like. Um I I do end up doing more of the cooking in my household, but that's because my husband's a terrible cook, right? But what that looks like is it decided upon between us. And I remember, and I'll say this and I'll toss it to Darling, is the first time I my, brought my husband to like one of a family gathering and um, I was t- telling my, and this is a, this is very black for, for our two, for, for, for Ben, Benjamin and Mel, that we were having like a family gathering. And my mom was like, oh, are you going to fix Ben a plate? And I was like, no, let's fix his own damn plate. But in the black community, that's a thing. Like you fix your man a plate. And I was like, his his fucking fingers aren't broken. Like, what do you mean? And it's and it, and it made me want to run so far away from it. But I'm I don't mind making food for my husband or fixing him a plate. I just don't want to be told that I have to do it. And I and my one of my proudest moments um was I was at a pool party with Ben my husband, Ben, and we, we were sitting down and there was a little girl who said, is that your boyfriend? I was like, yeah, he's my boyfriend. She's like, I want to have a boyfriend one day so he can bring me whatever I want. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Cause she saw him bringing me stuff. And I was like, yes, that's what you want him to bring you stuff like that. I just, anyway, so that's my thought of what, you know, heteronormativity is and how in my life I decenter it. Darling, what's your, what say you before I go off on another tirade? Okay. <laughs> Amen to that last point, by the way. <laughs> um, okay, so decentering heteronormativity and how like that looks on me. Um, I think um, so. Going back to what you were saying about like you know being kind of like uh, uh, geared or, or reared towards like being a bride or like a personality trait, like that has definitely affected me. Um, and here I am pushing forty. Um, and like nowhere near it, and um, you know, having like a, a small existential life crisis. Because you didn't get there, right? Like right. that's how society has reared us. Yes. So I've had to challenge all of that, you know, just so I could sleep at night. Because it's like, you know, I mean, like, you know, you, I, if, if I, if I beat myself up for that, or were to let anybody like um, tear me down for that, like, you know, it would it just affect me, make me have a bad time, and like that's why so um now i have to think about like uh well first of all like i have such awesome platonic relationships um so that's another reason why i have been single um the last the last couple of years as long as i have like not just because it's hard being uh demi and even though i you know have been on the apps the apps are not great not for everybody um someone once asked me like what does that mean Do you worship demons I was like oh god okay <laughs> So like, it's like, you know, that makes it difficult. Being a black woman, a, a larger body makes that difficult. Um, what the heck was my point here? Heteronormativity. <laughs> okay, so like, I have such a great uh, planet, platonic relationship. Um, like those, and those are the model for like the type of love that I want. So it's just like, I know what like that, this kind of love is out there. These people that love me so much, no matter what, and they uh, want me to win, I am like, even if it's like not with them, I'm safe with these people. Like, you know, uh, they're just so encouraging. Um, and so like, I, that's, that's what I think about like for future, which, um, or for the future, which is, is difficult. Cause like, how, how is that going to look like 
if um if I don't marry a man um because I you know I I definitely in my demisexuality I I still am seem to be unfortunately wired towards men <laughs> that is what I got so I'm working with it but I always say I won't close the door because like you know if I am somewhere and I meet you know the woman of my dreams I'm just be like nope can't do it because reasons absolutely not like I don't have time so <laughs> So like, you know, so in the future, like if I, you know, when, you know, uh, creating a life or, or, or buying a home and thinking about children and just how I'm going to spend the rest of my life and what that's going to look like, like, who is it going to be with? Like, I have to think about those things, how it's going to look, you know, uh, and all the paperwork that comes with that, you know, because a lot of people, um, you know, when you when you are married in a, a heteronormative relationship and you have children, you know, you got to talk about insurance. You know, all those things, like who can visit you in the hospital, like all these things come up even for same-sex couples, you know. So, like, that's, these are the things that I think about now, like just being okay is the goal. And, like, whoever is in the room with me when that happens, I'm like, great, you know, just want to be happy, just want to be good, you know. So, so that, those are the things that, like, I have my eye on now. I'm so glad you're talking about demisexuality, darling, because I think it really, I think just talking about this alone helps to decenter heteronormativity because a lot of times our culture likes to perpetuate this hallmark channel kind of conception of love that always has to be romantic or like the tinder or grinder conception of sexual attraction that it's just pure carnal you know anonymous sex or whatever people do these days it's not my jam but okay whatever um but so i want to show another graphic so this is um i loved this question how do you want to be loved and be loved and these are six different types of attraction and love that people can experience some people experience all of these different types of attraction other people experience very few or none of them and um, but most of us experience at, in the very least a platonic connection and those platonic connections can be incredibly fulfilling. They're not typically stereotypically sexual, but they're still just as meaningful and important to our lives and our mental health and our well-being as other types of love. So I think normalizing these different types of attraction and celebrating them is really beautiful and important. So the six types, if you can't see the graphic, are sexual, physical, emotional, intellectual, practical spiritual i've also seen aesthetic on here like you just you, you're attracted to the way someone looks or carries themselves or dresses and you want to you just love being around them because it like you just love to look at them like there's there's all kinds of different types of attractions and ways that people are wired so um and and i'll i'll finish my thought with one story i was talking to a friend and um who's a cisgender dude and he was like, oh, what's this demisexual nonsense? What are people just creating all kinds of weird sexualities these days? And I explained what demisexual actually meant. It means that, you know, you need to have a strong emotional connection before you might consider having a sexual connection with somebody. And he goes, huh, I think I might be three quarters sexual. <laughs> That's fine. I was like, great. One of the things I think is interesting there is this this is what used to be the terminology we used to be saps sapiosexual, uh -huh. right? And moved away from that language which meant be sorry intellect. Yeah, attracted to intellect, yeah. Into intellect, but I think you know, in as we get this more expansive language, which is a gift and not and not a detriment, I think people should look at it that way. Um one of the and I'll I'll say this, one of the ways that I engage in how I do facilitation for DEI work and therapy is that we are all 
every person intrinsically intrinsically has value and the capacity to learn, right? And I say that because it's a gift to be able to to learn new things and do new things. But I think the the part of moving away from sapiosexual is because it's it can be inherently ableist in that you can only love people who have a certain amount of intellect or a certain kind of intellect. Or education. Right, or education. And so it's this more expansive way of looking at um, attraction. And I think that that graphic that you put up about with the, with the pie chart about love, I think is a really interesting one because more often than not, I would say I probably experienced some aesthetic attraction to women. Like I just think women, like I always tell people my favorite people are black women. Right. And that's aesthetically because of how and what they look like and what they do. And, and I think, you know, often people are attracted to some figure that reminds them of being mothered right? This is, this is me going into that like Freudian, Erickson, Winnicott, not in the Freudian way where you want to have sex with your whatever, your parent. No, but just this, this, you're usually some figure in your life, more often parental when you're young, it not always, right? But you get this love and you think about that with teachers, with um, other adults, and you see them as what the pinnacle of beauty is um, in this engagement with who they are. And I, and, and Ben, you can, Benjamin, you can talk to this as too, because even in the gay community, it is some form of woman. It's, it's this, the gay icons, right? You think about these women in this, it's still a, a mothering thought process, right? Like, I don't want to sleep with Serena Williams, but everything about her is beautiful. I don't want to sleep with, and I'm, I'll leave Madonna, I'll share, but everything about her is beautiful. And I just think it's this thought process about how we engage with attraction and aesthetic, not that you necessarily want to engage in physical um, sexual intimacy with that person, but some sort of intimacy. So I want to, I want to hear from Ben, uh, Benjamin, I'm going to keep calling him Ben because there's too many Ben's in my life. That's that's okay. But I want to hear from Benjamin that same question of, um, I think you said, how do you decent, how does normativity, heteronormativity show up in your life and how you deal with But Mel, we're not going to let you get away without answering it either. So I want to hear that from you, but Ben, go ahead. Ben, go ahead. Sure. It's, I feel like I should have thought about <laughs> decentering normativity more. Is it, it's not that I try to, but I guess it depends where I am and what's going on. Um, Cause I also feel like where I am living in New York city, I know some people who are, I feel like who could answer this question and would be all in about like, you know, smashing the hetero, cis, patri, like all whatever the abbreviations I've seen for like what this whole system is embodying all the, all the isms. So I feel like I know people or I'm not too far from neighborhoods where that is the norm. And then I have know other people, some who are personal friends of mine who are gay, but they live some, I would say, very much almost like a leave it to beaver type of life. Um, and that also differs, too, I would say, on generations. I'm thinking of like a few different couple friends of mine who span different age groups. Um, but I know folks like that, and they wouldn't want that interrupted at all. So it's, and I, I bring those up, too, because I, I think within these conversations, there's this idea of what does what does security look like or how, how that looks and feels. And there's, I think when I hear like decentering normativity or, or, or whatever, I might even think of, um, what was I trying to tie? 
Question though, Ben. So yeah. my question, I have a question for you in that. When you think yes. about those groups of friends who do keep mm -hmm. that heteronormative mm -hmm. lifestyle, what does it look like? Or, and, and, or could you, do, do they fall in line then to racially and um, uh, demographically when it comes to income, right? Because sure. it's too... Two yes. white gay men is going yes. may look very different than two trans or black or brown poor people, right? Like there's a very big difference there in what normativity because one of the bigger and I, I don't want to get too far into this because this would have to be an in completely entirely other episode. But when mm -hmm. we think about that, you know, within the LGBTQ community, what falls along um, monetary and racial lines looks very different in queer and um, LGBTQ communities. Whereas I've heard a lot of people, you know, advocate for um, QTPOC, which is queer, trans, people of color, spaces, conversations because of these things. And I, I heard someone talk about marriage equality and one, how we don't have marriage equality. We don't actually have it because um, uh, people who are disabled are not able to receive the same kind of um, rights and to money and all of those things. But then also because some people have said that in the, in the LGBTQ community, um, white gay men stopped caring after marriage equality was granted where there are so many other issues, right? And I know we've talked about that before, but it is. So I was wondering if those groups of people who want that heteronormative lifestyle, and I say that's actually more of a lifestyle than being gay or whatever, is this this lifestyle that affords them wealth and privilege, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad. As you were saying that, I was thinking of some of these couples in my head, and they it does differ where they are in terms of their socioeconomic status. Some I can think of that are. They're both white. Some that are, I think, more biracial. And then maybe a couple that are at the same income, like high income bracket than others. That's more again, like mixed socio, maybe ones and maybe one has a nine to five, the other uh, works in the arts for me. And then maybe if they're both, you know, it creatives, like what that looks like. Um, but yeah, I think it's totally, like it's definitely, definitely linked. And even I think of interrupting heteronormativity, I think of, I think maybe Reverend Dr. Monica, I don't know if you talked about if like pronouns came up in your conversation with, with her, but even just, pronoun not just introducing yourself with pronouns but making that be um become part of your like introduction how that interrupts and i remember being like i'll be very honest when i my last in my former life in higher education i worked at a leading arts and design school in the united states and in working with the students there maybe every other person it would be pronouns and then go in <laughs> oh the dogs we, lo we love our dogs here basically life. and i would hear that and to me i just felt i became i remember feeling very defensive and irritated like no you say I that i think the, i think her dog barked right when you were saying what you were saying it's okay um right. you were saying they would introduce themselves with what pronoun or okay it'd be their name their pronoun and then continue on and just hearing and hearing what i was also irritated as maybe you know an extra 30 seconds of time that just adds up so like that's what i was thinking it was feelings of defensiveness and irritation and lots of oh my gosh this is such liberal you know what so i'd introduce myself but i wouldn't give my pronouns so I remember being very resistant 
and thinking, you know what, like they all can do that. It's just not for me. And then after really working and getting to know both professionally at the school and student body, I'd say non-binary and trans people, honestly, really realizing like, what's the, where, where's the harm, right? And so from there, I started including pronouns in my, start introducing myself. I do that more now, but using it in my um, email signature. And I remember my very last higher education position, it was at a Catholic school. And I included my pronouns and I never got, I will say for this environment, I never was given flack for, for, for being gay or talking about the things that I talked about all there. But I noticed, I think I was the only one for months that I'd see emails go back and forth. You know, maybe it's father this or father that, and then it's my name and pronouns and just noticing. And even within like being in student affairs, um, I was noticing that I was one of very few people having pronouns. I thought, but student affairs, like, wouldn't we all be about this? And near the end of my time at that school, there was little by little, I saw just a bit more, but it, I didn't realize how much of an exclamation point that looked in that environment when maybe in the previous environment is just a period. It, it's like such a, like the context of where, where I've been, I realized really plays plays a role, I guess, in what the decentering or disrupting heteronormativity looks like. I think about that too, what you're saying too, because to me in the outside, I work, I work in the corporate world and it's such a big conversation, but I'm like, I heard um, a trans author and activist say it's the ground floor. It is like the lobby. It is like using the correct pronouns is the lot. And I think I'm, I'm, I want to be at that place. I want others to be at that place, but you know, not, you can't force people to do certain things, but this, like, I'm just so, it's such a, it's not a tired conversation, but it's like, to me, it's like basis, base, basic level conversation. I'm going to address you. Cause like I work in an, I work in environments that I've heard people say, like, I don't have, I heard, I heard a person say, I don't have pronouns. I said, you will, if I use the wrong ones or they'll, or, or in, you know, in the social media world, we don't have pronouns. We need to go back to the constitution. It's like the pro the constitution starts with a pronoun. We, the people. Like, and who was that written for that dusty document written for and not for, sorry for the constitutional pe people out there, but it wasn't written in mind with any woman, black, white, um, native, any otherwise, or, and it wasn't written for gay, you know, anybody else. And it wasn't written for, you know what I mean? So thinking about that, but, um, Mel, I said, we won't let you, um, escape this question. So how do you, what does heteronormativity look like to you and how do you decenter it in your life? Yeah, so I think a lot about normativity is, um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Um, so normativity for me is like just a fancy word for saying what's considered normal by a particular culture in a particular time. And if you can think about it as like a, a, bull, like a bullseye, like a target, and what's in the middle center ring is normal and everything else is kind of like rejected and shameful, right? In like a tight normative structure. So um, I really love the word disrupting because in order to expand that circle and include more people into what's considered normal, we've got to move those boundaries and people do not like when their boundaries are messed with. It, it's uncomfortable. It's disorienting. It might feel threatening or taboo. Um, and certainly, certainly we don't need to get rid of 
we shouldn't get rid of all taboos, right? There are some taboos that are in place for very good reason because there's psychological harm involved. For example, child brides. We do not marry off children because that, that's that's a taboo that should be in place because we know that that's psychologically damaging. Sorry, Tyshell, to your Halloween costume from childhood. <laughs> you no, said it. You would not have um, had been a bride at five. I bet you were, I bet you were adorable. Anyway, um, so, okay, so for me, normativity is complicated because I am a bi person married to a cis man, um, a cis uh, straight man. And so it would be very easy for me to hide away in my little, um, you know, in the woods where I live and not say anything about the fact that I'm attracted to women as well or and, and queer people. I'm, I'm actually probably more pan than bi, but anyway. Um, so I made a kind of a difficult choice to come out to my conservative family while I was engaged to my cis male straight partner. And we, uh, so it came out in like 2018. So pretty late in life, like in my thirties, um, I, I was raised extremely conservative and I, I didn't have the language to understand that what I was experiencing when I had, you know, what I look back now and say are definitely crushes on girls or feeling very nervous or fluttery around specific girls. Cause I was like, they're so pretty. And I, you know, felt attracted or feeling uncomfortable when I was in the locker room and saw naked women, like not understanding why that caused a reaction for me. Um, you know, what I can look back now and be like, oh yeah, I, I am, I am freaking gay. Like that's obvious. Um, but it just took me, it took me so long to figure out why it took me an entire marriage where I, you know, I got, got married, had a like a quote unquote white wedding, like didn't have, you know, was a virginal bride and, and was married to a man for four years, um, got divorced and then kind of had this liberative moment where I dated around a lot. And I had a lot of new experiences that I had not previously had and, and was like, oh, wow, I I like dating women too. Wow. In my late 20s. Whoa, where, where is that coming from? So um, so I really, I could have kind of kept, I guess I could have kept my head down and been like, oh, maybe it was like a phase that I was into girls and not told anyone. And especially knowing that it would cause my family a lot of pain because they are the, the word homophobia is tough for me because they are not hateful people. They are very, very loving people. And I don't want to, I don't want to let them off the hook completely because, you know, I, I feel like they have some significant work to do, but they've never, ever said a disparaging word about gay people my entire life. They have tried to be loving and welcoming, but at the end of the day, they do not embrace gay marriage and they do not believe that gay people are born gay or that God could ever condone gay love. So, um, so it was a very strategic decision on my part to, basically make my body into a political site. We talked about that with Reverend Dr. Monica. I believe that's Audre Lord that, you know, our bodies are political and come out to my family, come out on Facebook, even though I like didn't really have to, <laughs> but I, it was important to me to stand in solidarity with the rest of the community. And it was important to me. It is still important to me to advocate for gay and queer people, and trans people because they're my neighbors, they're fellow humans, they're part of my community. Um, and I think I just have so much privilege as like a cis straight passing person that I haven't had to deal with a lot of things, my French, but like absolute bullshit that some gay people have had to go through and the trauma that a lot of gay people endure just for being who they are. And I want I want to live in a world where everyone can be free to to be who they are, you know. So um, 
it's just so interesting that you bring it, you talk about that too, because I've had some of those same experiences that you're talking, I've had girl crushes. And and I think tick, if you ever like, if you're a tick, an avid TikToker, like many of us, oh, not Ben, but we went to Benjamin, we could get him on there more. Then I'll be like, oh, there's a bunch of like 30 something year old women realizing that they're bi because, or, or open right in that way, because you start to get like, the thirst traps and the women and all of these things. And for me, I would say that I'm, I would, I would categorize myself as straight, but also look at this as such a, a, a bigger expansive, what that looks like, right? Heteronormativity in general, because I think if I'm looking at men and being like, I'm attracted to my husband and all of those in those six categories, but I just think women look better than men anyway. Right, like I just like I just do, right? So I think about that, but I don't know. And this is where you get into the gender versus attraction and sexuality. Like I don't know if I would want to be in a relationship with a woman, or I think about those things. But just men in general, I experience more of that six with men than I do with women. But you know, I, I you could say that I've had that like college where you make out with a girl and it was in all of these different things. And I've never seen myself as like a, oh, I'm not a part of this or I'm a part of that or these kind of conversations. However, I, I think about it as this expansive, you know, looking at the Kinsey scale. Kinsey goes zero to six, I think, which I think is like wild, but it because I think like zero and six is like i usually when somebody says give me a give me something on a scale of one to ten i don't even like that scale i'm like no because five is average like what are you saying so zero to six freaks me out i'm Can like you explain what the kinsey scale is for people who don't know what that is so the kinsey scale zero to six and i can't remember which end is which so you have to look this up on your own but zero being completely heterosexual and six being um completely um, what it, at that time, because it was 50s, Alfred Kinsey is a study, he does the studies of sexuality is gay, right? Very gay, I'm only gay, I'm only attracted to the same sex, and, or very straight, I'm only attracted to the opposite sex. And he talked about sexuality as a spectrum versus one thing. Thank you, Benjamin told me I'm right. In the, in the, in the, there we go, the Kinsey scale, right? So zero to six. And it's this, what it looks like somewhere in the middle. And we have a graphic that now I'm giving um, Darling a bunch of work because so she can post all of these things later. Um, you can take that down. But one of the things I think about with that is that I, I don't like zero to six. So, I mean, he also was doing the study in the fifties, I think fifties, early fifties, late sixties. Um, I would actually make that like a zero to a hundred. And I was watching a, a, a channel on YouTube where they um, asked, like they were asking a hundred people, how gay are you? And, and even the straight people were like, I'm at least like 10% gay. I'm at least like 7%. Right. And I think that if we look at it as a hundred, I got it. I was saying this to my, to my husband the other day, you got to give me like 30%. Like I'm like 30% gay. Like I, I, I'm like, look at this, look at that, look at this. And that's more of a, you know, and even, even when I think about my friendships, right? Like there are two people in my life I can think of that I can be my complete self with that I've loved. I literally sent my best friend who is another black woman, a text message earlier. And it was one of those, um, it was the devil wears Prada where you text your friend, like I need 10 scars from uh, 10 or 15 scars from Calvin Klein. And she, she, instead of like, uh, she knew exactly where I was going with it. So she was like, 
I don't have DeMarshall Yeh on the line. I don't, she was, she had answered all of it because she knows me, right? And it's the same thing. And I'll give you one other example of that and how like this platonic love lives is that one early on dating my husband, um, which is like 10 years ago now for his birthday, I took him out for his birthday and I dressed him. Like I put, it was a, it was a black jacket, a white shirt and red pants. We go to my best friend's house and she's wearing the exact same outfit, a black jacket, a white shirt and red pants and black shoes. And it was like, this is so wild. How are they dressed the same? But I dressed him and she and I are on this plane of understanding in life. That's just so like, I can't imagine that with many other humans. And the only other person I can imagine that with is my husband. Right. And I said this to my, I said, the next time I is like, I said to my husband, if we don't work out or you die, my next marriage is purely for money or like I'm joking, but like, I can't imagine, like, I don't want to know anybody else's favorite color, man, woman, I'm a, it's going to be me and my dog, right? Like that's the kind of thought <laughs> process about what this heteronormative structure looks like. So when I think I definitely, a, I would go expand Kenzie's scale from one to six to one to a hundred. And, and if you expanded it, how many more people would see themselves on that scale at different places, different place. And this is, I think where people come from in the um, phases of life. I do think people go through phases of their lives where they're more attracted to this than that and this than that, not sexuality being an overall one of them like, oh, you like girls and that's a phase or you like boys and that's a phase. No, but more of like, this is what I like. This is who I'm thinking about. This is who I am. And because more of more of that phase, more of that phase that you're going through is about self. Yeah, we evolve as humans. Right. So think about it that way. And this is not in any way, I don't want people to confuse this with like trans people are going through phases there are people who go through different phases of their life but if you ask many many trans people they knew when they were children like they knew and it yeah. wasn't but they may go through phases maybe there are phases that i want to do some gender affirming and then you know what f the world in the in the way the structure is set out and i don't want to do that or they go through different phases of who they are but we all go through those different phases of life but so i don't want anybody to try to use that like oh they're just going through a phase because even if that's true people get to live in their truth in any and every phase of their life yeah that's at least what i think we we had like 18 more topics that we didn't get to. So we're going to have to do more episodes on this. Um, so I'm going to turn it to last thoughts. Uh, darling, we haven't heard from you in a while. So let's let's hear from you. Last thoughts on this topic. What do you wish people would know about uh, decentering heteronormativity? And we would say we could say centering queerness and normalizing queerness. What 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 do you wish the world would know? Oh, wow. Um, that was a big question, Mel. It's a big, big old right. question. If you need some Tell time to think, I can go right. first. It, that, that we've been here. Like, this, these, these concepts, these things that we're talking about, we have the language for them now, but they're not new. We've been here at, at the, same, the same amount of time that time and space have been here. You know, and we all, we can all fit. We all can fit and have purpose. There's like 7 billion people on earth and to think that all of us should fit only like a handful of yes or no or black and white boxes is insane like just you know like and like um i think i don't know if we were talking about it like off air or or on air um uh talking about oh my god oh my <laughs> right um <laughs> 
No, this is, oh, okay, this is so, awesome. Yeah, there's space right? for everybody. So, we don't have to compete. Yes, you know, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like uh, we were talking about like uh, whether uh, how um, progressive folks should uh, work on getting others to um, accept um, anyone in the margins. And, and I'm like, no, you don't even have to accept it. You don't have to understand it, but you should have compassion. Like these are people and we are always worth it, you know? And so it's just like, and you should see yourself in there like somewhere. It's just, it's just not necessary to want to hurt people or ostracize these people or, or, or make life harder for them. Like it's hard enough, period. <laughs> like, like, stop. Like it's, it's, we, and we've been here and there's a purpose for all of us, but like, we don't have to do that. We could be doing so much other stuff with our time and our energy. You, I love that answer. That was amazing. You yeah. said something, darling, that really resonated. And I know oh, I want to, this will lead us at a whole other thing. So I'm only going to say this short piece of it. It's just this thought, if we, decolonize, decenter, and, you know, all of these things, it works for not just one sector, right? Like we're talking about this in a, in a heteronormativity, but it works for the medical field. Like we can't, we can't scale everything by one type of person's bodies because there's 7 billion, as you said, there's 7 billion people. So there's 7 billion bodies and we have to really be able to look at schema and then extrapolate. So I was just thinking about that, but Ben, your what do you want people to know as you think about it? What are some of your final thoughts? And I say we say final, we'll have to revisit this because this is such a rich conversation. But go ahead, Ben. I mean, I love what Darlin said. And I hate for maybe my response to get a little darker, sobering. But I think just remembering that when people look at decentering heteronormativity, which could simply just be queer people in general just coming into their own and living their lives, that things like homo homophobia and transphobia kill and still do. I mean, of course, the statistics for specifically Black trans women, at least in, in this country, in terms of being murdered is, is disgustingly high. Um, um, but there was just recently, I think it was somewhere out more so in Eastern Europe, but it, it became, it was flooding gay Instagram and social media that I was seeing. And it was this young couple and content warning for what I'm about to share. So going into the subject of death, uh, apologies. Um, young couple, like really cute. And they, a couple, and they ended up committing suicide together after sharing posts of them, like being all cutesy and just, you know, just being what, you know, normal couples do, you know, holding hands, sitting on a bench, waking up together. And it's like, damn, you know, that's still like this still, you know, they're, they, and they weren't even trying to prove anything necessarily. They're just trying to be themselves and that still cost them that somehow pushed them to a point where they, their thinking was like uh, to them thinking there is no space in the world for us, which like, is so not true considering what darling just spoke like there is a place for <laughs> for everyone so i think stop stop killing particularly stop killing our trans brothers and sisters and stop killing us because as, as darling said there there truly is a, a place for for everyone in this this wide wonderful you know alphabet mafia that that we have um i'm gonna shift language just a little bit instead of saying committed but died by Oh, yes. Suicide. Thank you. So that, that language is there, too. And appreciate that. I, I also, so going back to the little bit of a lighter, I love 
alphabet mafia the same way I heard a neurodivergent person say neurospicy. I just um, I love it because it's real. I think I I love this this reclaiming and this jovial sense of being right, like that we all get joy. And I love that people get to to claim that. So Mel, what are some of your thoughts? And don't leave us so quickly, all of um, audience, because we are going to talk about, because this is our, our last episode of the season. So if you've been following us, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but I, Mel, on the topic, what are your some of your thoughts that you'd like to share? Mine, my thoughts dovetail with uh, actually what both Benjamin and Darling said. So I think what I've been impressed upon you know, through thinking about this topic is how important it is to resist consumerism because a lot of gay people have achieved a bit of cultural acceptance in that, you know, people will joke around, oh, I wish I had a gay, a gay best friend to go shopping with, or they enjoy the compliments like, yes, queen, you know, get it or whatever. But I don't think a lot of people understand, a lot of straight people understand that that radical love and acceptance that they are experiencing the outflow of has been created on purpose from such deep pain from so many gay folks who have been utterly humiliated and traumatized and rejected from their families that gay folks have had to create their own chosen family. The word chosen family, I believe, comes out of gay culture. So don't just consume the happy rainbow parts of this without understanding Stonewall, without understanding what gay people have had to fight for and overcome. I'm going to cry. Um, there's so much you made it so far without growth. This is there's so much pain there, you know. So don't understand the whole story and don't take that radical love for granted because it it doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. So when we're celebrating gay people, celebrating queer people, know that that the beauty that gay people are able to create in their lives is is a rebellion. It's a political and cultural rebellion against things that have been entrapping and pressuring and and um, destroying life and joy for those people. That is a rebellion. See it for what it is. Yes. I, I love this. And I'm oh. going to, I'm going to kind of, Amen. wow. Uh, right. Amen. <laughs> together, I hope some of what you all said, because, um, and I want to give props to where this culture, right? When people say that, when we think about Rainbow, when we think about Stonewall, um, it was a riot. It, it is a community on purpose. As Mel is saying, we have to give props to Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and folks who are Black and Brown trans people, because without them, you'd be we'd be living very separately. There wouldn't be a community to even be a part of. So much of all of popular culture and things that we love come from Black and brown and trans people. And we owe them so much, the language, the popularism, right? We owe them that. And I think so much of that is so important because we don't wanna commodify this um, community. Um, We want to not appropriate this community. We want to celebrate and live amongst, right? When we, so when people tell you that they need space from whatever um, uh, dominant culture, we don't get to be a part of every single thing. As a straight person, I don't get to be a part of every single thing. As a white person, you don't get to be a part of every single thing. As a whomever, right? In this dominant cultures, because they need space and respite from us. Um, and we need space and respite, right? So we all have to understand that. And I just think it's so 
important, right? Because so much of it is born from what we would call Eve in the black woman of our cultures, right? So thinking about, and I say even the black woman thinking about Marsha P. Johnson as a part of that group, because I think about women as an expansive group, as an umbrella term and different people's lived experience lives under that umbrella term. Um, so I think it is so important because be, from, from dust and from, and it, it makes me think, go back specifically to Maya Angelou um, in her poem, Still I Rise, because so much of what, uh, communities have built is because we were given rubble, right? And I'll say, I'll say this, even thinking about barbecue, right? Barbecue has a history in racism because um, enslaved people were given rotten and poor meat and they learned to smoke it, to get out maggots, and they learned to give it flavor by adding vinegar. So they turned, you know, they turn something terrible into something that we all get to consume, but we need to know that kind of history, right? And I think that that's just so important with so many communities. And I'll say this kind of as a, as a point, as a period on that a little bit, is that when we all get to color outside the lines, we can see what is more beautiful and who, who expansive, who we can be, right? If you, if we pull away, if, and this is, this is a, this is a great point to end on for this season. If we think about white supremacy as a whole and what it doesn't let us have. And we're not talking about individual white people. We're talking about this overarching system that doesn't really work for any of us. And we'll keep talking about this when we come back next season as well, is that if you were, if you, if the limits and the bounds were taking off, taken off of us, who could we be? Who would we be? Who would we get to be, right? Like if you have to color inside the lines, you only get a certain picture. And especially if someone else makes the picture for you and you get to color inside of those things. So when we think about this, it doesn't fit for any of us. The, the highest rate of suicide is among white men. Why? White supremacy, right? When we think about what is racism, it, it it's this, it's this box on who can be. When we think about homophobia, it's this box on who can be. And if we think about that, wow, maybe at, to, to Mel, to your point, for your friend, maybe they thought, oh, maybe I am 75% straight and 25% gay because now they see that the box is more expansive than what was originally told to us, right? So I think about that for so many limitless things. Now we do need guide rails sometimes, Right, but they can't be the only, right? It has to be this expansive notion of who and what can be. And I've gotten the chance to go to Stonewall and, and party there, but also to take in that history and, and being a part of a community. This is why I tell people allyship is not the first step. It sounds fuzzy like friendship, but really it's six steps in because you have to be in lockstep in, in service to and in part of a community to understand, to be an ally to them. And we'll keep talking about these things, but I just really... I, I really admire and I always pay homage to um, my foremothers and my, you know, four people, right? And I say that and I, 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 I'm a person who has, I got a lot of posted quotes and one of them is, um, for I am an ancestor and a descendant, right? I'm an ancestor to those who come behind me, so I need to light that pathway, but I'm a descendant of the folks who came before me to light the pathway of where I am, right? And if, and I always go back to it because I'm, I'm looking at this through the lens of a, of a black person for myself is that there was one person who made it through the middle passage, enslavement, um, the sixties for me to even be sitting here. And if you think about life from your own lens, 
right? Mel from your lens, Benjamin from your lens, Darling from your lens, what that looks like for you to be sitting in this spot, it makes it so humbling. Um, I heard a Jewish proverb that talks about um, God created the earth, especially for me, but I am yet, I am but dust to the world, right? You think about how big and how small you are and, and hopefully you've gotten some of that conversation from this because it is such an expansive part that we could sit here and not be, um, not feel hate and not feel, but feel close, right? As we've gotten over this season, um, our second season um, of conversation. And I could, I could have just this part of the conversation for like another hour and a half. Um, but it's just, I'm just so glad to sit in community with all of you. And one of our producers is backstage and another one is off doing work things, um, just to be in a community with all of you to be my full self, right? And for all of us to be able to do to do just that. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my soapbox away and um let that's let a great us- spot to end though, because we celebrating like with a moment of wonder. Like isn't it amazing we get to do this and have these conversations and and this community has come to mean so much to me. You all are such just phenomenal people. Thank you for for being my friends. To have such four great producers yes. to be able to be in this community, four brilliant, amazing people. So I want to say thank you to thank you. Alicia, to Joe, to Darling, and to Benjamin as we close out season two. Uh, Mel wasn't here a couple weeks ago when we actually hit our one year anniversary, but this is our 20th episode yeah two full seasons most like isn't it like 90 percent of podcasts? <laughs> isn't it like 90 percent like of podcasts never make it past season uh, past episode seven so we're already ahead of the curve and i say that knowing that there are production people that i have engaged with and know that you like you're like oh i can't wait for this podcast and then they just don't keep up with it so you are looking at people who have full-time jobs lots of other work who don't even live in the same part of the country nope. be able to do different you know, time zones but to be able to strap this to our backs and do this because we love it so much um, I just got the one of the best compliments that I wanted to share with you all. I do, I mentor someone, um, I won't shout her out, um, but she said to me, I listen to every episode in two weeks. She, two, I told her about the podcast and in two weeks she had listened to all 19, I think at that point, episodes. Like, um, Oh my gosh, was, thank you, person. Right, so I will let her know we shouted her out. When, air, so when she listens to her, they're going to talk about me, right? So it's just it's just such a wonderful thing so we are at the end of season two and we will be back um in season three in the new year so happy all the holidays that you celebrate um halloween diwali high holiday jewish holidays hanukkah which is not a major jewish holiday christmas all of those things happy new year (laughs) you'll tie the festivus for the rest of us all of these three kings day and all souls day and all saints day all of those things Uh, We will see you in the new year. Um, Stay connected to us on social. You can find us in all the, okay, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram. We will stay active there posting the things. Go vote in a a week, about just over a week. Um, Early early voting is open for all you. This weekend, 
I, I need to I need to I need to early vote exactly. this weekend. So my, myself included, all of those things, but stay connected to us because we'll still put things out. One of the things I really wanted to make sure we say is that we want to hear from you all. What are some of your show ideas? What do you want us to talk about? Um, what questions do you have? We're gonna do a mailbag episode where we just answer your questions um, that you have. So um, send those to us on whatever socials that you use. Um, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. Mel, what are your thoughts as we as we end out today on our 20th? I can't, I'm so proud of us. I'm so proud of us. And thank you to all our listeners. Y'all are amazing. The questions you ask, the energy you bring. Um, you know, we, it's just, it's really fun to build this from scratch and be meeting so many cool people. Thank you to all our guests who we had. Just phenomenal guests. Both seasons. so lucky with such I don't amazing know. guests. Yeah, we just go find people we like. And we're like, hey, will you be on our show? And they generally and somehow usually say they're yes. like, uh, you're not a complete idiot. So sure. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how we got so lucky. So, so if you if you listen to the show and you know somebody who would be a good guest on the show, please get in touch with us. We're always looking for other you know new people to talk to and interview. And um, yeah, just thank you to everybody for helping us make this happen. It's just such an honor and a delight. And thank you, Tyshell, for your amazing energy and your joy. And whenever I get too intense, Tyshell is like, okay, I see you, but also like, remember to laugh. Like, it's great. (laughs) And I have to return that same thank you because, you know, I met Mel through Benjamin and we, you know, we talked about that in our, I think our very first episode, but I had this idea and she was like, yeah, we can do that. We should do that. And I was like, I've wanted to do a podcast for the last 10 years of my life. I didn't know that. 10 years? It's just been so long. And I was like, I I, I started up back in the day when people were becoming content creators. I started a YouTube and it was like fashion. And I was like, this doesn't feel like me. And this feels so much like me that it feels like work, but it also feels like the best form of work I could possibly do. So with with a little bit of ingenuity and Mel's know-how, we've been able to bring this to you all and we do it for us, but for you, right? Like, and I want to continue that. So give us suggestions for season three. Um, keep stay tuned to find out when season three will come off because we are six people who with full-time jobs who work and live in different parts of the country. But this is so much fun. And I've never left a conversation and been like, why are we doing this? <laughs> well, that's and, good. and not, and, and I'm sure in every episode we'd go, this could be a whole episode. This could be a whole episode. Yeah just so much to talk about. I didn't realize this was a lifelong dream fulfilled. Oh my God. That's amazing that we can do And hopefully one day a full-time job because you know, um, the man, as they say, is out there and it's, you know, pay me to do exactly what I love to do, but I love it so much. And my best friend said to me, you, Tesha, you love this work so much. You do it for free. And I was like, in a perfect world, we get paid to do the stuff we love. <laughs> but so this is I, important information. These are important conversations. So, you know, the more we can get out there and out there in the world, then then good. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to my dogs. Thank you to my dogs for being mostly patient. It's like, so as long as we're thanking everybody. I know I fed mine and gave yeah. gave him some treats. Um but yeah. we, we, can, we can wrap up, yeah. Exactly. So yes, thank you all. Keep listening. Stay tuned to our social medias. All of those things we said we will post. We'll make sure they get posted. And we will see you in season three. In in twenty twenty season. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.